Blog Talk Radio. Starring the mad prophet of the airways, Howard Field. of the Union Broadcasting Systems, and he died at 11 o'clock this morning of a heart condition, and woe is us. We're in a lot of trouble. So, a rich little man with white hair died. What has that got to do with the price of rice, right? And why is that woe to us? Because you people... And 62 million other Americans are listening to me right now because less than 3% of you people read books. Because less than 15% of you read newspapers. Because the only truth you know is what you get over this tube. Right now, there is a whole, an entire generation that never knew anything that didn't come out of this tube. This tube is the gospel, the ultimate revelation. This tube can make or break presidents, popes, prime ministers. This tube is the most awesome goddamn force in the whole godless world. And woe is us if it ever falls into the hands of the wrong people. And that's why woe is us that Edward George Ruddy died. Because this company is now in the hands of CCA, the Communication Corporation of America. There's a new chairman of the board, a man called Frank Hackett, sitting in Mr. Ruddy's office on the 20th floor. And when the 12th largest company in the world controls the most awesome goddamn propaganda force in the whole godless world, who knows what shit will be paid for truth on this network. So you listen to me. Listen to me. Television is not the truth. Television is a goddamn amusement park. Television is a circus, a carnival, a traveling troupe of acrobats, storytellers, dancers, singers, jugglers, sideshow freaks, lion tamers, and football players. We're in the boredom-killing business. So if you want the truth, go to God. Go to your gurus. Go to yourselves. Because that's the only place you're ever going to find any real truth. But man, you're never going to get any truth from us. We'll tell you anything you want to hear. We lie like hell. We'll tell you that uh, Kojak always gets the killer and that nobody ever gets cancer in Archie Bunker's house. And no matter how much trouble the hero is in, don't worry, just look at your watch. At the end of the hour, he's going to win. We'll tell you any shit you want to hear. We do it in illusions, man. None of it is true. But you people sit there day after day, night after night, all ages, colors, creeds. We're all you know. You're beginning to believe the illusions we're spinning here. You're beginning to think that the tube is reality and that your own lives are unreal. You do whatever the tube tells you. You dress like the tube. You eat like the tube. You raise your children like the tube. You even think like the tube. This is mass madness, you maniacs. In God's name, you people are the real thing. We are the illusion. So turn off your television sets. Turn them off now. Turn them off right now. Turn them off and leave them off. Turn them off right in the middle of the sentence I'm speaking to you now. Turn them off. Hello, folks. Um, 
This is essentially kind of an experimental phase of the first Occupy Detroit broadcast, uh, the official podcast of Occupy Detroit. I'm your host, Neil Kiernan, uh, known to some people as VTV. To those of you who typically listen to V Radio on this link, um, uh, does not mean you would not find this you know, the stuff we're going to be talking about tonight interesting, I'm sure. Um, the Occupy movement has a lot in common with the uh, issues that we bring up frequently on V Radio, so if you came from that background, feel free to stay tuned. Um, in addition, I will be looking for callers tonight, so uh, try to call in uh, 347-945-7747. Uh, tonight at Occupy Detroit, we are having a rally. Unfortunately, I cannot physically be there, but I'm hoping that through some callers that I've talked to today about calling in, provided that things are not too crazy up there, uh, we'll be able to get some insight as to what's going on there tonight. I know one piece of good news that we have is that this is not a rally in defiance any longer, at least not for today, as we did receive an extension for one day while the city council deliberates and then tomorrow we'll vote on whether or not to give the Occupy Detroit campers at Grand Circus Park another two weeks. The uh, campers at Grand Circus Park only requested uh, another week, uh, actually just to go till Friday, uh, and the purpose behind it really is just to be sure that the park is in the same state that it was in when we found it, if not better. So uh, just to get that piece of information to those of you who are out there, the rally tonight now is just to celebrate the 30-day anniversary of being in Grand Circus Park. So, all that said, I hope you guys enjoyed that clip. That was from the film Network. Uh, interesting film, to be sure, if you haven't seen it already. Uh, very uh, cool character that you were hearing from there. So, um, in any case, <laughs> if we could turn them off, read in the chat room now. Um, I've spread awareness of this as much as possible. It'll be interesting to see how this turns out. One of the things about Occupy camps is that people don't really have access to the Internet there under other than under specific circumstances. I've given out the link to this particular uh, broadcast everywhere that I knew how, and um, I figured I would take it from there. So in any case, uh, I was also given the phone number to an Occupy, like, conference call. It was apparently going on 24-7. So I'm probably going to um, start that off or start the show off by adding that to the call. I'm going to warn you guys, I have no control over what goes on in the conference call, so I have no idea who will be there, what they will say, what they will do. So you'll just have to bear with us. So give me a moment while I find that. In the meantime, to those of you who tuned in because of the radio, um, and, and actually, I think this would be interesting to the people in Occupy Detroit as well. Uh, one of my next broadcasts coming up on Wednesday is with Charlie Veach of the Love Police. Uh, he's back. Uh, and to those of you in Occupy Detroit who don't know who he is, um, Charlie Veach is a interesting fellow who does like kind of what I call megaphone um, activism. He grabs a you know megaphone and goes to different places in England and spouts off things that are true in a very sarcastic sort of way that brings awareness to them. Uh, I can inevitably uh, play audio clips of that at some point during the course of this evening to give you guys an exposure to what uh, dealing with Mr. Veach is like, but uh, he's an interesting fellow, and I guess he, you know, it's kind of odd that he had dropped out of activism right before the Occupy movement, and then now that it's here, I think it's kind of regalvanized his interest. But we'll be talking to him about that to see exactly 
uh, what his motivation for returning to activism is. Well, all that said, though, I am actually very happy that he did. So, in any case, um, anybody who wants to call in tonight, remember, the number is 347-945-7747. If you happen to be one of my international listeners and you just want to join in and talk about what Occupy is doing where you're at, you can also do that via my Skype, VTV115. Um, if you're going to do that, though, let me add you to the call. So basically, you would just add me to your Skype and then PM me, and then I will add you to the call. I'm looking here now for that link for that phone number we were just talking about. And then we will take it from there. So in the meantime, I hope everybody over there who's keen enough to be at that rally is having fun. I know that uh, Hans is going to be joining us at some point this evening. A uh, fellow from the Michigan Zeitgeist Movement is who's also involved in Occupy Detroit will be providing music, which I'm sure if I know is probably already going on now. Uh, the last time I was at Occupy Detroit and he was there, he had a lot of you know really interesting musicians show up. There's a reggae musician that I really liked, and I don't normally like reggae. Uh, there was a lot of other just it was kind of a fusion. It's like just anybody with an instrument showed up and they just kind of started playing stuff. And I actually think some great music can come out of situations like that. So um, in addition to that, there's been a lot of work being done out there to clean up the camp, and they're still going to need help. So if there's any way that you can get out there for that purpose, uh, it looks like we'll be moving to one of two or both locations that have been proposed and have been donated by people who support the Occupy movement. Um, you can get more information on that by going to the camp and talking to the people there. Um, I believe the website is experiencing problems, but I haven't tried to get there yet this, this evening, but I saw a bulletin about that. Um, but in the future, then, obviously, that information should be available there as well. Going here to Occupy Detroit Media on Facebook. And then I'll be able to grab this phone number, and we'll see what happens when I add the conference call <laughs> to this call. Um, once again, folks, um, I have no control at all over uh, what is you know, what these people will be saying, where, will be, where they will be from. So if you're used to having a uh, show that's free of profanity or whatever, um, <laughs> this may not be the one. We shall see. But all right, let me go ahead and add this number now. Welcome to the Occupy Conference Call Center. This line is to provide you with a conference break at no cost. No sign-up is required, so you will remain anonymous if you choose to. You will now be entered into the conversation. Well, sounds like they're playing music. Unfortunately, music sounds terrible on Blog Talk.
Well, it said that I would be added. I, I don't know what's going on with that, but either way. See if there's anybody over here. Nope. Hello. 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 Hey guys. Who's speaking? Fuzzy Tech. <laughs> oh, is this Fuzzy Tech speaking now? Yeah, I hear you on the radio too. Well, yeah, actually, um, I just added the conference call to the radio. So, <laughs> you're live on the first official uh, Occupy Detroit podcast. So, um, I'm not sure why they put music on their force. Maybe it takes a moment to load or something. But is there anybody else on the conference that you, as far as you know, right now? There's somebody else on the phone here. Female voice. I don't know. Oh, sounds to me like the show is playing at the same time. <laughs> That's funny. You're getting a little loop back. Yeah. All you have to do is uh, click to pause it, and then you'll just you'll still hear what's going on in the show via this call. So I'll take it from there. But in the meantime, um, well, Fuzzy Tech, why don't you take a moment to ex- uh, introduce yourself to the audience? Well, I'm sitting here behind the scenes and working on the website, and I'm hoping that we can put together a blog talk radio widget on the site uh, so that we, people can find uh, what's going on here, as well as um, actually working on a site that I'm going to call Occupy Detroit Frontline, and then we're going to offer people the ability to email their photos in, uh, their stories in, and uh, basically give the public a face that they can uh, post their content up real quick and easy. Well, that sounds awesome. How long have you been with Occupy Detroit? I've been uh, here since, uh, well, I attended the meeting on the 10th when they decided that Grand Circus Park was where they were going to start meeting or where they're going to set up things. Uh, so that's pretty close to day one. So. Excellent. Like now, minus, uh, minus seven days or something like that. Yeah. Do you mind if I ask you a few questions in regards to just who you were before Occupy Detroit? Okay. Well, um, the first one that I usually ask, um, and this is associated with just kind of trying to shatter some of the demographic information that the mainstream media puts out about uh, what the you know the occupiers are like and who they are. Um, for example, like when you were growing up, what was your financial situation? Oh, okay. Um, well, my, uh, dad was in the air force. So for the first 10 years of my life, we were moving around from state to state and even made a visit internationally out to, uh, Turkey. Uh, this was back during the cold war era. So, um, yeah, I was born all the way over in uh, Topeka. Um, I've lived in uh, Mississippi, Louisiana, Turkey, and North Dakota. Uh, getting out of that, we basically settled into Royal Oak, and I grew up around Royal Oak schools. Um, went to Bishop Foley High School for high school, and uh, then went to Wayne State, and that was when I uh, started really getting to know the city much better than my parents who really didn't cross eight mile. Um, so as a, uh, 
college student. I was uh, every day going down to school. I even picked up a student assisting job down there while I was going to college. And uh, um, the major that I was going after that I got a degree in, in 1983 was in computer science. Okay. How did you pay for your education? I had uh, a few grants that came along because I had pretty good grades in uh, college, uh, as well as uh, doing some work. My parents had a uh, hobby business that they'd actually started up a distribution business. In the distribution business, I'd worked. I would work after school hours and tour around the different hobby shops in the area and make sure that their stock was filled and. Uh, there was also a period that I was uh, doing some assembly work at a uh, electronics plant where we were stuffing resistors and diodes capacitors into circuit boards. So that was more summer activity. So basically, obviously, then you don't fit the demographic of the supposedly lazy, uneducated, um, unwilling to work <laughs> a group of people that supposedly our movement is only made up of. Um, yeah. Well, I've been around for half a half a decade or half a uh, century. I've been around for 50 years, so I've seen you know the whole computing industry come from mainframe up into PCs, and been supportive of that, and been in the corporate world. Uh, I was at Blue Cross Blue Shield for two different periods of time for a total of uh, 15 years around that that place. Um, was busy defining corporate standards on the desktop environment back when it was 486 and 386 machines. Wow. Well, so, well, yeah, I guess then that, you know, uh, it definitely is one of the things that I found when I was in Occupy Detroit is that the demographic is made up of people of so many different groups, uh, so many different backgrounds, and that it wasn't any one group by any means. You know, there were also a lot of different ideologies. Um, you know, there were socialists, communists, anarchists, and even some free market libertarians here and there. Um, and also just some uh, people who were kind of confused by the system that they were raised to believe was supposed to work and that, that just kind of fell out, you know, the bottom on them. And now they're, they're trying to figure out what to do next. So, oh, I understand. We got a guy listening right now. The- Go ahead. I'm sorry. I think part of the thing is is people come down expecting their ologies to fit, and then when their ologies don't fit, they don't know what to make of the movement. Right. <laughs> um, and that's just a matter of sometimes we have to unlearn what we've learned over all these years, and that's creating blinders that we look through. And we're, we start saying, well, I'm not going to look at that, because I looked at it once before, and it wasn't very appealing. Uh, things have a way of changing over time. Right. So, and that's, you know, I think that um, there are definitely organizations that see this as an opportunity as some kind of recruiting drive. You know, um, it, the communists and the socialists in particular, I think they, they usually look towards, you know, times of economic downturn to tell people about their ideas. And I understand where they're coming from. That probably is an opportunity then for people to be, you know, a bit more open-minded about changing the system in some way. Um, but, it's now time for me to call somebody out who's on Facebook who who's listening right now. His name is Gary Roscoe Johnson, and he says he's incredibly phone shy and he won't call in. Awesome. <laughs> I'm call so, Gary out. <laughs> yeah, the poor guy. I'm so I feel so I feel so rejected that he won't call in, man. Yeah, that's what's going on. But 
Well, I'm going to sit on the national conference line, and if anybody wants to phone in to your radio station, I can always give them that number if you wanted to uh, drop this line or something like that. That's up to you. Sure, no problem. I was just kind of a question of um, seeing if there was any occupiers that were active on here at the moment. But um, it looks like actually one of my friends from the New York group might be available. I'll ask him. But um, in any case, thanks for coming on, or rather, thanks for being on the um, international call-in line while I added it to B-Radio, or in this case, Occupy Detroit. Um, and uh, I will talk to you later, Fuzzy. All right. Good to hear from you, Neil. All right. Yep. Bye. All right. That was uh, me adding the um, Occupy Detroit national conference call to the radio show. And um, it looks like just by uh, um, happenstance, Hold on just a second. <laughs> well, it looks like I'm also getting message was oh yeah, I see right here. So some of you who are fans of E Radio might remember a uh fellow by the name of Lucas Vasquez who comes from the Occupy uh Wall Street movement who was on an earlier episode of E Radio. Um if those of you who are new to this podcast, um once again remembering um, Occupy Detroit podcasts that are done through the V Radio stream, you know, uh, basically are going to be Occupy Detroit podcasts. Um, anything that I don't put that qualifier on is me doing V Radio. So you may not agree with everything I say on V Radio, and anything that I say in a V Radio podcast, it, you know, may not be uh, by any means the opinions or therefore consensus of the Occupy Detroit movement. But um, if you want to check out my podcast, you can do that on my website, v-radio.org. Um, and we talk about a lot of things there that I think just about any uh, ad- activist would be willing to get into. So, um, But uh, in, any way, in any case, uh, it's been great so far being involved in the media team and the education team. And uh one point not long ago, I actually um, – at one point not long ago, we did a um, <laughs> we did a kind of an education teaching thing, and uh, Justin, who I'm hoping at some point I can get on the air today, uh, brought in his politics professor, like a political science professor, and she was really awesome. And it was really cool to me because you know we were on the level, and I'm not classically educated, so. Um, the fact that I, you know, I had done a lot of research and, um, you know, things of that nature on my own and that she confirmed a lot of the things that I had already found on my own to be true, uh, was really great. And it was awesome to listen to her talk as well. And to kind of take an opportunity to be able to share knowledge with people, I think is one of the more rewarding things. Um, so I'm going to add actually Lucas Vasquez from Occupy Wall Street to this call. He just said he could come on for a little bit. He's got to take a break from homework. So as soon as he picks up, we'll be good to go. But um, in any case, that was an excellent uh, moment. We were actually talking about the effects of money on politics. And we had an excellent conversation about that topic. And we also, I also kind of tried to talk to him a little bit about what it is that people buy with their money when they're using you know, basically get money to influence the kinds of candidates you get to see. And I drew a little image on the chalkboard that we had there. And the image had one guy sitting off by himself and another group of people all sitting together. 
and I asked people what that particular image meant to them and and I also went back to it and I said, you know, if you were in school, who would this person be? Like back when you were a kid, you know, and if you were you know, just somebody sitting off by themselves is usually the unpopular kid or something's wrong with them. So then I described to them that it, uh, during the last presidential race, Senator Mike, Senator Mike Gravel, they, uh, wanted him out of the debate, so they just kind of set him off to the park. That's a little better. Is it Yeah, yeah. Cool. And? Thanks, thanks. Appreciate you. Yeah, where are you at? Uh, right now, I'm at a coffee shop. <laughs> that would explain why it's so loud. Um, yeah. So, uh, welcome to the first official De- Occupy Detroit podcast. Oh, great to be on. Very excited. So, how are things going in Occupy Wall Street right now? It's uh, going very well. There's uh, a lot of momentum going towards the National Day of Action of November 17th, where there's a whole day of action, of direct action, which many groups, affiliated groups, community groups, um, unions are doing massive direct actions and taking a step further in terms of what they are willing to do in terms of direct action. And it's going to be a very good day. And uh, there's been a lot of organizing for that and a lot of momentum growing towards that day. All right. Well... Um, what do you guys have up next, if you want to talk about it? What do you mean? As in, you said you got a lot of direct actions planned. Um, do, do you want to talk about yeah. any of them? Yeah, right. Um, so sev- at 7 a.m., um, when uh, right before the bell is going to ring for the stock exchange in New York, and on Wall Street, actually, there will be a massive direct action to shut down Wall Street and not let stockbrokers go to work in the morning. That that's one. It's we like to call it the breakfast part of the day. Then we have lunch, where students are going on strike, um, and there's going to be a big convergence on Union Square of students, and then a big march to Foley Square, where every everybody is going to gather together. Then at five o'clock for the dinner part of the session of the day, um, unions have agreed to send 99 people to engage in civil disobedience on specific bridges. Um, with 99 people showing, uh, demonstrating their 99% stories, their uh, different inter- interesting uh, stories of oppression they have faced. Um, the 99 people symbolizing 99%, obviously. So we have three um, uh, parts of the day which will um, gain a lot of mass and show a lot of direct action in the city. Well, that's awesome. Um, I know that we're we're looking at some direct action, obviously, in Detroit as well. We're at this point just trying to figure out what we're going to do as far as our location situation. Um, a lot of conversations going back and forth about that. So um, how is the state of the camp? What's what's it like in Zuccotti Park right now? It's actually um, amazing and, and, and frustrating at the same time, I would say, because um, actually what has changed um, is the uh, – formation of tents, how now there are structures put up all over the, the camp. It's amazing to see how there's big, big tents uh, for nursing, for uh, free health care, where people can go in if they have a problem with their health and uh, see a doctor. 
um, as well as psychology. And then there's tents put up everywhere to deal with the cold weather and, and, and rough weather. And you just see different structures put up, like the library and kitchen, just to set up an infrastructure that looks amazing and very organized. And just amazing how it looks like a different society in it by itself. Um, so, I mean, the frustrating part is that there's just so many people, it's overcrowded and it's like too small of the part in terms of how many numbers we have and all the uh, structures we have put up. Um, but overall, it, it's just amazing to see how organized and how much it grew in, in its totality. Excellent. Well, um, what was the frustrating part? <laughs> um, I mean, the frustrating part is just how crowded it's gotten. I, I mean, I think that's a good thing, you know. Um, for me, it's frustrating. So you, you walk into a park and it's like you're at a concert where, like, you constantly bump into people, you know. And also, there's just so many structures put up that it's very hard to um, move yourself as it was at first two weeks because there are no structures put up the first two weeks. Now there's structures everywhere. So it's, it's hard to walk around. And that's why I think it's time for um, an extension to another public, uh, public privately owned park that has the same legal status as Ducati. Um, and I, I just think in terms of space, because we have just so many people willing to sleep out here. Right. Hi. Hi. Um, I just added someone else to the call. So is that Todd? Yeah, no, this is, this is Mark. Oh, hey, Mark. Excellent. It's great to have you tonight. Um, well, Lucas, um, I'm trying to keep it like so that uh, everybody can hear everyone today, so I'll probably go ahead and let you go. Thank you for coming on on such short notice. I just happened to see you there, and I wanted to get some updates from you on Occupy Wall Street, and thanks again for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much. Any Anytime. I'm, I'm always willing. You know, it's, it's great to be on the show, and uh, great to hear from you. Excellent. Well, um, thanks again also for kind of introducing me to this Occupy thing and, um, you know, having a great conversation with me about it on our previous podcast. And anybody who's listening now would like to listen to that can find it in my archives. So um, thanks again, Lucas. Yeah, thank you. Uh, great talking to you. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, let me go ahead and um, make one call here. And okay, he disconnected. There we go. Hey, Mark, what's going on? Welcome to the hey, Occupy Detroit podcast. Awesome, awesome. Uh, how are you doing? Not too bad. Um, we're actually uh, um, sitting here now. I was just talking to Lucas Vasquez, who's from Occupy Wall Street. Uh, there's a. Are you at the rally? I I am not. I was actually at it. Oh, okay. So yeah, I'm right now. I had to head toward a computer so that I, I wouldn't be able to use the Skype. I was going to call you today. Okay. So I, was just, uh, I was just trying to figure out how to use it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're on now, Mark. Um, we're kind of uh, at this point. I mean, you can take a moment, real quick, anyway, and um, let's let's talk about your story. Uh, uh, first of all, um, how did you find out about Occupy Wall Street and therefore Occupy Detroit? Actually, I had a friend, Matthew Tomlin, who's with me right now, who uh, headed to Occupy Wall Street. Right. And um, at, at first, I really didn't know what it was about, you know. And honestly, I, I wouldn't say I had doubt um, that you guys had a, a real reason for being out here and, and protesting, but I, I just, I didn't, I couldn't understand it. I, I, there was no one um that I knew that was preaching about it or telling people about it until I heard about my friend Matthew Tomlin heading down to uh, Occupy Wall Street. 
you know, I did some research and I found out <laughs> about all the things I've been missing out on for like a very long time. Or things that I, you know, I think I should have known already. Right. There's actually also someone else coming on, so I'm going to go ahead and bring him on. And there just happened to be a lot of noise where Lucas was, so uh, give me just a second while I bring on someone from the 313 area code. Um, 313-961, you're on the air. Hi, Neil. This is Todd. How are you doing? Not too bad. Hello, Todd. Welcome to the first Occupy Detroit podcast. Fantastic. I've also got got Mark here on the line. Uh, I was asking him to tell his story, so... I'm going to finish with that real quick, and then we'll get to yours, if that's okay with you. Of course. All right. Well, Mark, um, all right, so we talked a little bit about how you found out about this. Um, you know, I, was this is this the first kind of activism you've ever been involved in? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. So, and how do you, I mean, it, I, I talked to you at the park, and, you know, you were definitely a really smart kid, and, you know, it really inspired me actually to see somebody, you know, from your generation to to be so like you know aware and thinking so clearly. And I honestly, you know, I'm glad that we though that that movement has you, and that you know, I'm glad that I've met you, and obviously now I'm glad to have you on the show. Uh, you're you're actually going to be oh, excellent. Now you guys are working on a benefit concert, aren't you? Actually, we are. It's actually going to be next Saturday, November nineteenth. Um, we're going to have a lot of festivities. Um, fun for all ages. We have moon bounces, um, trackless trays, face painting for the kids, etc. We're also going to have five performances from one to six. We're going to have, um, Chiefy McFly, Dosta Artist, Salad, Virgil Jackson, Jay Grape, and Dirty D, DJ Nick Speed, MC Sample. David Chiboki, Woods, Stonewall, Mike Loud, Knowledge, Big Shan. Um, we have a lot a lot more arts. Um uh, a lot of local acts as well. Um uh, we had a lot of uh, the crowd involved. Now, um is this I mean what kind of genre of music is this for those who don't know who the bands are? Okay, we um we have a, a couple of different genres. We have uh more hip hop um, and we have a couple of bands that will be playing, which is more like more rock, more uh, punk rock. Excellent, excellent. Well, I'm glad that you guys have a you know have, has have kind of a variance going on there. You know, um, because it, it the, the that's one of the things I have to say was the most beautiful thing about the Occupy movement for me, especially you know at the camp was that the it was so diverse in the amount of the different walks of life that were represented. And I have to say, it was the one place I've ever been where, um, I mean, where just race just was non-existent. You know, like, it's there, you can physically see it. And everybody tries to say that it doesn't matter to them, but only at Occupy I've ever really felt that it was just completely gone. Like, you know, when I sat down and we had a great conversation, you know, the the race issue never even entered my mind. And it's funny that it enters my mind more that it didn't enter my mind and it didn't enter anyone else's mind. You know, I mean, it's, it was just like a, a melding pot of so many different kinds of people. And I have to say, you know, I think one of the most beautiful things about it was that these were all people that if it wasn't for the Occupy movement would probably never um, have ever spoken to one another. Exactly. I mean, it was, it was uh solidarity to every sense of the word. Um, it, 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 it was extremely peaceful a beautiful 
and, and still growing movement. Right. Uh, Neil, can I ask uh, Marcus a question? A couple of questions. No, go ahead. Hey, Marcus, uh, this benefit concert, who is it for? It's for the people that occupy Detroit. It's actually for everyone in Detroit. Everyone can enjoy the festivities and come down. But it's really for the people of Occupy Detroit who have been out there since weeks and weeks. People who, uh, who are fighting for everyone's you know, rights and getting the uh, policies changed. Absolutely. That's great. Uh, can you give me a time and a place? It's going to be a Grand Circus Park. It's like Woodward and Adams. Um, yeah. And it's going to be from, 10, from 12 o'clock to 6 o'clock. That's awesome. Well, uh, yeah. I'm on the media committee, so we'll definitely get the word out for that. Yeah, it's actually a good thing that we got this together. Go ahead, Mark. We're actually trying to uh, get, uh, again, with you, with you, Neil, trying to get um, the, live, uh, the live stream. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure the name of the. We should definitely, yeah, we should definitely live stream that, and I'm sure that they'll, they'll, we'll yeah. have to get somebody on hand for that. Um, you know, and it's a good thing, though. I mean, you're talking to two people from the media team, so inevitably then you know, we'll be able to get something done along that line. But Yeah, um, Neil and I will definitely bring that up uh, tomorrow at our meeting. Sure, sure. Yeah. You know, thanks again, Mark. For, for oh, Go ahead, Mark. Uh, I don't, all right, I don't mean to cut you off. But what I want to say was we want to have it live streamed and have donations being able to be made um, via PayPal for Occupy yeah. Movement. Well, yeah, yeah. We, can definitely, we can definitely put that, uh, try to put that together, Marcus. Yeah, if we can get, and I can help him with the some of the widgets and stuff I use for that for my own work and B-Radio, so... But um, either way, we can get into the logistics of all of that, but basically I think the, the, the main and most important clarifying question was that this is, in fact, going to be a benefit concert for Occupy Detroit. So you get to go yeah. there, have some fun, listen to some music, and at the same time be donating to a good cause. And that means you get to feel good about it the whole th- way through. <laughs> well, I getting- already feel good about it. Occupy, Occupy, or if you get for the Occupy movement itself, Occupy Detroit, and occupying ourselves and our own spirits. Excellent, excellent. All right, well, Mark, um, you can feel free to stay on the line and be part of the conversation, but I'm going to move on to Todd now, if that's okay with you. Awesome. All right, well, Todd, um, I ask these questions of everybody who comes on. Um, inevitably, uh, you know, I kind of start off with to try to shatter some of the stuff that is often said about some of us, but, you know, um, who were you before the Occupy movement? Uh, well, I think I was your typical white suburban kid overachiever, uh, fitted right in with the dominant ideological thinking. Uh, for example, uh, I worked uh, to help get Ronald Reagan elected, and uh, uh, later on, I, I went. You. Pardon me. <laughs> we won't hold that against you. <laughs> yeah, please don't, because uh, I feel bad enough already. Uh, but uh, it's cool, man. Yeah. Later on, I uh, I went to school, and uh, I had also served in the military, and uh, eventually graduated from uh, law school, and I went on to uh, uh, own a business and uh, 
later on I became a uh, a project manager for a major uh, like internet applications company. But then there was the tech bubble. Mm-hmm. And uh, like our whole office uh, in Ann Arbor got closed down, and I lost my job. And uh, this created uh, family problems and personal problems. And so basically I've been, uh, you know, trying to scrape by ever since. Uh, but it's interesting because, you know, I think a lot of people uh, suffer different kinds of crises in their life. And I think the most valuable or useful sorts of crises are the ones that cause us to challenge our assumptions about uh, not only ourselves, but the world we live in and how much uh, of what we are is shaped by uh, our experience and our world and our society. And if you can take those kinds of assumptions and basically be willing to let them go or shatter them, it can open up uh, really broad and beautiful vistas of understanding and experience. And that's to me, that's what's appealing about occupied for me, and I, I would guess a lot of other people. So, but you were an activist before. You just kind of came from the right to the, I guess, to the left would be a way of putting it. Um, would you agree with that? That would statement? be one way of looking at it. Yeah. Now, I guess then uh, the question that that would be important then is, what helped you make that transformation? What what made you change your mind? Well, uh, I think what happened was I came to understand that the uh, the conservative I was not a, I was never a conservative like ideologue or anything like that. But I, what I did and what I thought and what I did in respect to political uh, activities back then related to my concept of individual liberty. You know, I I wanted I used to say, for example, that. I wanted to have a society in which uh, there was the minimum amount of regulation and government necessary to ensure ordered liberty. Well, that sounds all very well and good, and I was very enthusiastic about that. And I, I looked for and found threats to individual liberty coming from, let's say, government. Government regulation of the economy, government regulation of individual behavior, and so on. Um, but then, uh, after a while, you start to see that the basic, uh, let's say, bundle of rights uh, that people need in order to have a meaningful and dignified life uh, is under attack not simply from government, because government is simply a reflection of m many things and many large things going on in society. G uh, people's individual ability to exist as dignified human beings can be assaulted by any uh, organization that has a lot of power and can come after and try to shape individuals according to what they want, uh, including corporations. And so you get to a point where you understand that an individual's right to fully develop their potential can be threatened by money, by uh, corporations in a capitalist system that don't value human beings. And so what's, what's the same now is I still feel very passionately and strongly about every human being's right to fully develop their potential. 
But I think that the system that we have now, which is dominated by capitalism, by greed, by corruption, uh, is the major threat to that. And it's not just an American problem. It's a worldwide problem. Right. No, that's very true. And that's why I was glad, actually, that this movement um, appealed to the global sense. You know, you get to watch videos yeah. of people doing this all over the world, and that's very powerful. Um, you know, it's like uh, the right the right to breathe, for example. It's not in the Constitution, right? Uh, mm -hmm. But the right to breathe clean air is under attack all over the world by giant corporations whose sole interest is the accumulation of these little things, these little bits we call money. Right, right. You know? Now, real quickly, to those of you who are listening who have called in and I have not enabled your mics for yet, please be patient. I'm not ignoring you, but I am totally going to add you in a moment. I'm just going to let Todd, you know, tell his story first. So, um, now, Todd, uh, that's all been a very compelling, actually, the, the stuff that you've said there. I, I wanted to add, to, you know, basically just to ask you now, um, this, this manifests in your work for Occupy. So let's talk about what you do for Occupy Detroit. Sure. Uh, well, I I really didn't even know Occupy was coming to Detroit until it showed up, and I immediately uh, got involved just, you know, setting up tents and helping people and buying things for the campers because they were overwhelmed with the, the, the needs of the local population who are also immiserated, you know, by the system that they live, that they forced to live in. But then uh, a little bit later, I got involved in the media work group, and basically ever since the beginning of November, I've been uh, attending the media work group meetings, uh, drafting up press releases, responding to media criticisms, coordinating, uh, I uh, coordinated a radio interview today, and uh, I'm just trying to uh, put uh, a lot of the uh, really um, erudite and conscious uh, discussions and conversations and actions that are going on into uh, a framework where those are expressed through our press releases and interviews. Uh, so, you know, people who are not coming down to Occupy can understand that uh, this is not just a collection of people who are trying to have fun or think things are unfair. This is a much deeper problem. And so some of the press releases that we've been issuing, we briefly touch on some of the uh, some of the some of these deep issues, like the domination of society by plutocrats and the use of austerity measures by the the plutocrats through government to deny uh, critical services and jobs and education to millions of people uh, as some kind of necessity. So we're trying to use our press releases to uh, I'm trying to craft the press releases to uh, highlight uh, to basically tear away the layers of uh, misrepresentation that you get in the ma in the mainstream media. Excellent, excellent. You know, um, I'm actually proud to be part of the Occupy Detroit media team, and I look forward to see the work that we have coming up now. I'm going to go ahead and add another person to the call here. 313-974, um, uh, you are now on the air. Welcome to the first Occupy Detroit podcast. That would probably be me. Hi. Uh, introduce Hi. yourself. This is Stephen Boyle, Fuzzy Tech. I'm just calling in again. Oh, you're back. Okay, you sounded yeah, a little I different. Yeah, I called in on the other line. Um, <laughs> you were mentioning um, 
taking in donations, there is a donation uh, widget on the website. Uh, we're using WePay.com, which is what uh, Occupy Wall Street's using also. Okay. Uh, we've got a uh, WePay site all set up for people to be able to take a look at. All right, excellent. Mark, are you still on the call? Oh, I can't tell if he is. He may not be. Um, that okay. being the case, actually, I can look. Nope, he's not. Okay. Well, anyway, then we'll just have to make sure I can give Mark a call. I guess I think what Mark would want to know is uh, he'd want to be sure that you know he was aware of how much donations he generated while he did you know while they did this concert. So if there'd be some way that you guys could kind of make a note of, all right, this is what our donations were at before the concert, and this is what they were at afterwards, it would, it would probably help to galvanize their motivation. So sure. Not something a to think about. Yeah. All right. Um, now I'm going to go ahead. we got a, another caller on the line, um, 313-978. Welcome to the Occupy hey. Detroit podcast. Hi, how are you doing? Hi, who's this? This is Keaton. I'm from Detroit. I'm actually on site at the Occupy Detroit protest as we speak. That's excellent. That's exactly what I was hoping would happen. <laughs> Can you uh, be our on-site reporter and tell us what's going on? All right, so um, we have, we had a special general assembly today, and we're having a rally. Um, okay, so for in case anybody's unaware, um, the permit for the uh, for Grand Circus Park, this is where Occupy Detroit was held for the past month. Uh, it was expired, but uh, they were working on a two-week permit. Um, we were able. Yeah, I'm here. Hello. Yeah, we can still yeah. hear you. Oh, sorry, that was that was enough. Uh, they, we were able to get an extension for tonight, so there will not be any arrest. There will not be any issue, which is actually just another great thing because, unlike all the protests that's been going on um, around the country in places like New York and Oakland, Portland, and things of that nature, we actually have not had uh, a single arrest um, or a single issue of police, you know, when it comes to being evicted or dealing with anything of that nature. You know, of course, you know, we have our little sidebar issues, but. Uh, what what protests have not had that since it started? Um, but yeah, so we are having a rally and celebration. We're just happy that you know we're keeping us going. Um, tomorrow they are going to vote on uh, getting the permit extended for another two weeks. More likely that's going to happen. Like I said, because the fact that we have not had any uh, we have not any had any runs with the police. If anything, we've been actually very cooperative with the police, and uh, it's been like that vice versa. Um, so we are just like out here right now. I don't know if you can hear there's some music playing in the background, and uh, it's a great turnout. That's actually why that's one thing I'm actually very proud of uh, saying right now. I can actually say that for all the events. You know, we've had our weather and uh, everything like this, but despite everything that's happened, we actually have had great turnout. I'm like looking like right here and like the the a part of the park in here is like filled up. There's like I would I, like at the most I would say I would give it about a round of like 40 people who come through here, and I'm only hoping that Thursday because Thursday there's a month for solidarity happening. Happening. Uh, there's actually a call from the Occupy Wall Street protest. You know they did it, and now they actually want want to spread this message and have um, marches of that nature happen at every Occupy uh, across uh, across America. So we're only hoping to see what, how that's going to turn out. It's turning like it's going to turn out really good. Uh, there's a lot of unions and things of that uh, things of as such coming down here to join. So we'll have to see how that turned out. I can honestly say it's going to be something really, really good. Um, but if anything, I really don't, I really don't see any reason 
why this is going to come to a halt right now. I, I don't see a reason because we don't, you know, we're here. There's people, everything here, which is another thing, is their racial inclusion. And that's one thing that, you know, I see here. People are getting along with each other. People are talking. People are listening to each other. Um, I, you know, the one thing is, you know, we not all not agree with the same thing, but we all want one thing, and that is we want a better America. And at least I can say it for myself. I know that I want a better America because what we're going through right now is not working. And it can, it can be a little, I, I do believe that it can be better uh, with foreclosures. Um, you know, college students who can't pay for, who can't pay off their loans and can't pay for school, and um, the risk is going on and on. So I really think that, you know, this is going to be, this is a movement that can go on. And I'm only hoping that, you know, this can just stretch out for as long as we can, you know, as long as, long as the train keeps going on, I'm right there for it. So I'm actually proud that. For you know, for the thirty days, the thirty days that we've been having, this has been going on. You know, we've been we've been smooth sailing. So that's awesome. Can you tell me a little bit about what's going on, like there at the site right now? Am I is that the music I'm hearing? Yeah, um, that is, like I said, we're having a rally. We're having a musical performance right now. We actually have some people uh, who are. Presenting, uh, representing some unions come through and have a talk, and um, you know, there's just people. Um, there's people have coming here talking. Um, I actually have just, I, uh, if you, uh, if you're uh, like this, I actually had just been given a paper earlier today. It's called People's Tribute. It's actually been talking about all the uh, occupiers, like it's talking about thoroughly occupied that's actually happening uh, across the country. It's actually very informative. It's really good. Um, uh, let me just see if I can hear you. Hear me? Yes, you sound uh, fine. Okay, just want to make sure I don't get a little bit crazy back here. I'm, I'm trying to get away. Um, so yeah, but it's called People's. Uh, let me see. Hold on. Let me see. People's Tribute, and it's really good. It's, like I said, it's talking about all the occupiers. Uh, it's giving a thorough, uh, thorough review of the occupiers uh, here in Michigan, Detroit, at Arbor, Lansing, Flint. Um, it's talking about Houston. It's talking about Wall Street and New York. Um, and this is a, it's really it's a really really great paper. If you're ever able to get a, your hands on it, once again, it's called People's Tribute. Um, and you, um, I'm sure there's a website, uh, or you can just Google it, uh, People's Tribute. I'm sure that that'll be a, a big help. And so yeah, so we're only wait, so the next thing from here is we're just waiting for tomorrow. So uh, you know, there's a lot of people who are talking about going to city council tomorrow. To uh, hopefully get the permit uh, for the next, uh, to last for the next two weeks, so we'll just have to see. I'm like I said, I'm sure we're gonna get it, and so uh, we'll just have to see what's gonna happen from here on out. But I really do. Uh, I really am such high support for this. I'm really happy about what what we've been able to do here, and I really hope that we can do a lot more. Well, it sounds to me like you know you've definitely got the bug. You've got a lot of energy and enthusiasm in your voice. Um, let's let's really talk do. a little bit. Well, yeah, let's talk a little bit about you. Um, is this the first activism you've ever been involved in? When it comes to something like this is big, I can actually say yes. I mean, this is actually something so different. I can't. I, um, this. Is, I mean, it's so wild. I mean, in a way, it's kind of like. Um, it, it's like you know, growing up, you know, you always see like the other things, you know, uh, the civil rights movement, uh, Woodstock, and things of that nature. And you know, growing up, you, uh, I would just say to myself, when I ever get a chance to be a part of something that big, and if you were seriously, if you were to ever tell me 
like maybe when I was like nine or two years old, that something like this was going to happen again somewhere down the line, I would uh, I don't even know how I would react to that. You know, uh, it's just I'm just in a maze, and I'm so happy that a, a movement like this is actually happening here. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, it's happening every place. But I can honestly say I'm just so happy about the fact that it's happening here because. Uh, a place like Detroit, we need this. And in and, and my mind or in my opinion, I kind of feel like Detroit is America, just like I feel like New York is America. Uh, and, and I just feel like at this point in time now, Detroit, you know, Detroit needs a wake-up call. Um, and we need something. We we need something like this to let people know that we're not going anywhere. We've been through hell and bad. We've fought. You know, people have said everything under the sun about us, that, you know, you come in here and get shot. You know, you get robbed, you'll, like, it's just everything bad that they can think of that has been thrown out there. But I can honestly say, compared to all the arrests and all the issues, I mean, I'm sure you heard about the one in Oakland was about the soldier. And compared to everything and compared to this one, I'm pretty sure I can say that um, we haven't, haven't even been close to anything like that. So I really think that people need to seriously take a second look at what can happen because there are so many different people out here. And that says a lot. And I'm, you know, and being a, and being a city that's predominantly black, there is people just mixing around, there's people talking, just having fun, and just enjoying, and just enjoying everything. And and they're trying to listen, and they want different. They want something different. We all want something different. Uh, we, I mean, and that's what it should be about. It should be about trying to help one another, be there for everybody, and tell people that you know, when we're mad about something, and I'm sorry, you know, we're mad about a lot of things right now. And I know it's kind of like a question like for a lot of people because you know the one the sixty four thousand dollar question is what are you fighting for? And I know it's so sporadic, but at the same time, I still feel like in a nutshell that it's connected to everything. It's not like we're you know it'd be one thing if we were fighting for something really big and they were just fighting kids stuff, but nothing that we want that would, but nothing that we want to see happen is nothing is nothing childish. You know, everything that we want, I feel like this is what we need to do. This is what needs to happen in America. We need to be able to pay for school. We need to have, uh, we need to be able to, we need people. We need people of America. That's what I need to say. We need people of America to speak up and and tell people that, you know, if we don't like something, we need to take a stand for it. Because government, it, it's, it's, I just feel like government has kind of gone too far in a way, and, it, and we're supposed to just, you know, take it lying down. And I'm sorry, I just feel like there's it, something wrong with that whole picture. It's like it, it should just be government only. What I says go, I I win, you lose. It has to be. It has to be. Um, it has to be a fifty-fifty. You know, it's, the line has to be drawn somewhere. And I think this is where we draw. We drew the line and started this protest. And for and how fortunate it is that we've been able to keep it going and we haven't had any issues. So. I think I think it doesn't need to be fifty fifty. I think it needs to be ninety nine one. We are the ninety nine percent. They're the one percent. They should not have control of forty percent of the wealth and eighty percent of the assets in this country. Right. The question yeah. is going to be a, is like is that is always going to be the issue, especially when we're dealing with Occupy. Um, and I know there's a guy actually who's asking the end of the call right now, anarchist friend of mine who I've done broadcasting with in the past. Um, is what solutions do we propose to to fix that? Um, I've heard a lot of different possibilities. You know, as I said at the beginning of the broadcast, we have communists, we have socialists, we have, you know, even some free market libertarians hanging out at the park. Um, obviously, a lot less free market libertarians, but I know they're there. 
Um, and That's what it, I used to be, Neil. <laughs> yeah, and it's a question of figuring out. I mean, you know, honestly, though, I mean, although I don't agree with everything they say, I used to be one of them, too. I, I ran for Congress as a libertarian, actually. Right. Uh, but, I mean, <laughs> the, the, the central problem with libertarianism is they mm-hmm. want they want to have a society in which corporations have the maximum potential to accumulate wealth. And they and corporations, are when they're successful in doing that, what do they do? They destroy democracy. They destroy the capacity for life of millions of other people because they are nothing more than just another aggregation of power that is self-interested and interested not in human need but interested in simply acquiring money, which is a, basically it's a sociopathic orientation. Well, it depends a lot on also on what branch you're talking about because just like anything else, I mean like an anarcho-capitalist would say, well, I don't want there to be a state in the first place. So, you know, I think that all of those, this is just me quoting what they would say, I'm not an anarcho-capitalist, but, right. uh, you know, they would say, well, you know, I don't want there to be a state. I, I feel that people should be free to trade and, and be able to prosper amongst themselves. And honestly, I think, like, uh, I talked to Stefan Molyneux, and he's a free market capitalist, and he and I have a lot of great conversations on my show and on his show. Um, and, you know, what we propose actually is more of a situation of, like, what about a future where, you know, people can break into smaller communities and then govern themselves according to the system that appeals to them. You know, um, at that point, a free market of, of governance in that way. Um, you know, I, for example, favor more of a something that's a little closer to anarcho-syndicalism, but um, the resource-based economy model of, like, let's just create a community where we use renewable energies and resources, you know, but there's no reason why a, a group like that could not peacefully coexist with another group that decided to be anarcho-capitalist within itself. You know, um, I think that... Well, I think, but I think there's a problem with that, with that orientation. Mm. I am totally sympathetic to, let's say, one of the more basic tenets of anarcho-syndicalism, which is a hostility to aggregations of power narrowly held. Now, everybody understands that that's bad. That's been a problem all through human history. But when we talk about allowing human beings to uh, develop to their fullest potential, what does that require? Well, it requires resources. It requires the ability to organize productive resources so that everybody gets as much as we can rationally produce, right? TVs, cars, boats, motorcycles, educations, hospitals, schools. And in order to rationally organize productive forces so that everybody gets the maximum that can be produced safely and sustainably, I think that requires more than the kind of the kind of models that anarcho syndicalism proposes, which are which are kind of like these these nodes, these separate nodes that exist all over the place. You know, that are kind of independent and everything. We want to. It would be better to. We could maximize human potential to rationally organize all production around a single concept of human need, maximizing human potential. Well, yes, and the Venus Project would 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 agree with that as well. It's a question of like you know finding a way to achieve something like that. You know, sans any form of violence or force. And I think that that is an achievable goal. Is it provided that we set up and we all agree and understand the non-aggression principle um, yeah. and abide to that? I think it's it's more than simply something that's accomplishable. I think mm-hmm. it's essential. I think it's it's absolutely critical to our continued existence as a species because we are now producing things like nuclear bombs, all kinds of other weapons, biological weapons, and 
unless we get to a point where the organizing principle is the satisfaction of human need, all of the negative aspects of our technolo technological and productive prowess will eventually uh, cause an existential threat to the human species. And we're already seeing that play out with uh, capitalist production going on all over the world that's essentially toxifying the planet. Right. Well, we, I certainly don't disagree with that. I think it's just um, it's definitely a, a matter of making sure that you know people who at least um, recognize a common opponent. This is something that a friend of mine, uh, his YouTube account is called Storm Clouds Gathering. I'd advise that to anybody, particularly people who are interested in uh, the issues that we're talking about. Um, he suggests that the, the true elements of the Tea Party, meaning what's left of it, there's a lot of corporate crap going on over there, but you know the actual libertarian factions of the troop of the Tea Party should, rather than spending their time um, saying stuff about Occupy Wall Street, should instead band together with Occupy Wall Street on the things that we do agree about, and that would be things like um, ending the Fed, you know, throwing off the banks, fraction, you know, the end of fractional reserve lending, um, destroying the ability of the banks to control, you know, currencies. And that's something that the the activists of the right and the left can agree to, because one of the things that it, that I've noticed is a consistent issue is that the fascists are all on the same you know uh, page. They all know what they're doing. They don't they don't fight each other as much as we do, but we're all divided into a bunch of little groups. And that's why and I understand that you know we've all got different ideologies, but because of that, it's easier for the one percent to hold themselves together over us is because we end up feeling a bit more like, you know, tiny little percentages rather than 199. At least we could unify on that purpose of really putting the 1% out of business, which a lot of their, their power really resides with their ability to control currency. But, I, yeah, I agree with most of that. But, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's interesting but because I think Occupy is the beginning of a recognition that uh, – there is unity among the the poor and the middle classes because they are threatened by the activities of the 1%. And ultimately, it boils down to this. You know, I'll, just as a background or context, we live in a credit-driven world now, right? Trillions of dollars all over the place. And the entire world economy essentially rests on payments by debtors to creditors. If any portion of that breaks down, if the debtors don't have the money or whatever, or they're short payments, then the whole financial system starts to fall apart. Well, what is not understood is that puts tremendous power, paradoxically, into the hands of the debtors. Uh, sure. And, but our perception is that the creditors have all the power because they have governments and armies and police. But actually, the debtors uh, are really, if they if they become aware of their power, they can transform the system into a far more equitable system very quickly. Well, I think, yeah, another, more... I think another thing about this is I, I, I kind of want to bring you back to the Tea Party, and I kind of I, I can't agree with Tea Party like mixing Tea Party with the Occupy movement because when you look at the because because you have to kind of understand the Tea Party is kind of like a, 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 kind of like a, a, a tag right there with Republicans, and I can honestly say that it's more about it's more about Corporate, it's kind of like it's more about corporate giants with the Occupy protest than it is with the uh, with uh, politics and things like that. And I think well, it, well it, let me you know, let me let me let me qualify something so that you understand. 
I'm not suggesting mixing. Nobody's suggesting like, you know, that they should like join us or anything like that. It has more to do with the fact that there are some common enemies that, that both sides recognize. Okay. You know, imagine if you had a, this giant rally outside of the Federal Reserve Bank with members of the Tea Party, members of the Zeitgeist Movement, and members of Occupy Wall Street all outside of that bank, you know, saying, end the Fed. Because that's something we can all agree with. Do you understand what I mean? I understand what you mean, but even with that said, you kind of have to understand what, what, what that. It, see, more, it, it, it's kind of like, okay, how can I best, how can I best explain this? How can I best explain this? Because with Tea Party, it's like with Tea Party. I mean, with Tea Party, it just seems like. I mean, for for a while, it's hard to put a blame on. Or the famous thing is when it comes to Republicans, the risky richer, and then that's why, and that's kind of the reason why the middle class and the lower class are kind of a little bit more in jeopardy. Now, not, now that's a bad. I'm not because I don't. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to be very reasonable here. I don't want you to think that by saying that I'm saying that that is true. However. That's kind of where it is, and then of course, with this being said, with this coming into play, with the fact that we do believe that there that the middle class will be gone before you know it, if there's no action taken, that you know, with that there'll always be two sides of the spectrum, and a problem with that is that people, are, it, 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 it doesn't balance. You know, you're putting you're putting broke with the rich, and it, it, and the rich is always going to outweigh. The, uh, our way to broke, and that's not gonna. And, and, and we gotta take that. We gotta take that and live with that for however many years. That's gonna be a really big problem because how is it? Because even if you want, if you were able to transcend from one to another, it, it, it's kind of like how are you gonna be able to? How are you gonna be able to stomach the fact for, that you were rich and now you're broke? And then how are you gonna be able to ever feel like you're gonna be broke and make it back to rich? So how are you going to be able to break it together? That's the thing is, I think that's what I think with middle class. When you're middle class, it's kind of like, Allow me actually. Allow me really quickly because we also have another caller who needs to be heard from as well. But allow me really quickly to kind of um, bring about is that what we're suggesting here is that uh, in many cases, at least the kinds of people in the Tea Party that I'm talking about. Um, like some of which, you know, would be probably somebody, for example, that is going to end up participating in this call because I know she's she's an anarcho-capitalist, is that it, it's a matter of the suggestion as far as what solutions do you have to make everyone more prosperous. Free market libertarians believe that if the if things were deregulated and you got the state out of things, then it would be easier for people to become independently wealthy. Um, whether you agree with that or not, they still do, however, agree that the banking institutions that, I mean, honestly, at least what I always thought was the catalyst for all of this was things like uh, the stuff that was brought up on the film Inside Job, about the bankers' bailouts while the rest of us are all choking. And that's something that both the activists on the right as well as the activists on the left recognize as an issue. And concentrating that energy towards that one thing um, especially if we all embrace the non-aggression principle and allow these people to you know, live the way they want to live while we do the same over here. So, all right, but anyway. Yeah, I don't want to – I could uh, say a lot about what was just said, Neil, but I want to help, help you bring some other people in. Sure, sure. All right, well, um, Meme Filter, welcome to the call. Hi, Neil. Can you hear us okay? Yeah, you sound great. All right, thanks for having us on, my friend. And say hi to AJ. Yep. Hey, AJ. Hello, darling. How are you? Not too bad. Now, to give you guys a little bit of background, um, I've been doing online online broadcasting for a very long time. I know. 
And um, and uh, I know you guys know who you are. And um, these guys were some of the people I broadcasted with originally. So I'm going to put up, like, you know, right now that um, uh, all of my friends come from different backgrounds, and you may not agree with everything they say, but one of the things that I like the most about the Occupy movement is that we have managed to um, work together towards many goals, even though we have different backgrounds. So that being said, um, go ahead and introduce yourself, Meme, and, um, you know, give people a little background about you and, and your position in life. Uh, well, uh, first, thanks for having us on again. Uh, tell us if anything goes wrong with the sound. Yeah, we go way back uh, to 2007 or so with the original Ron Paul radio. Neil came in there and did a wonderful job of playing uh, anarcho-left to a bunch of libertarian rights, and it was really classic, uh, and we've been friends ever since. Uh, I'm, I'm a massive supporter of the uh, Occupy Wall Street and just Occupy Everything movement. Uh, and the whole thing, just so you know... Um, Neil, the whole, for, for 20 minutes or 30 minutes we've been listening now, and there's been one thing that's ringing over in my head, and it's the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And we can disagree on 99 points out of 100, pun intended, but if we agree on that one, we've got a mutual target that we can address, and we can put down all our other differences to address that one little target. Right. Now, that Percent being Wall Street. If we agree that Wall Street rules this country and rules the world with their financial power, and we agree that that's wrong, we can do something about it. I agree. And I, I think it goes a little deeper than just Wall Street. It's kind of easy to, you know, pick a name and pretend that that's the whole story. But remember, there's... Well, we're, we're, we're talking and we have to do shorthand metaphors, but you get the picture. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. We didn't we didn't make it this far by uh you know getting hung up on the details like that, right? For sure. Well, right. that either way, you know, I, I think like you know that that there still has to be some core things that are understood between the two sides. Um, and I think that you know the banking institutions issue, as Thomas Jefferson said, you know more you know more dangerous than standing armies, um, is it, something that you know either side of it can be on, uh, whether it be the the libertarian side of it talking about the the concepts of sound money. Uh, the Venus Project, people like me who are kind of like, well, let's just get beyond the need for money. You know, um, socialists, you know, have a tendency to feel that they want to share the money. Uh, There's so many different ways of going about it. And I think that the, you know, as Stefan and I always talked about, was just that it more comes down to the fact that we recognize that the some of the sources of these issues that are corrupting the politics, that are corrupting the system, you know, at the end of the day, um, I actually would be more comfortable if the right was people like Ron Paul, okay? And I'd be right, absolutely. You know, if if that's the right, then I, then you know, then I don't have to worry about the right getting elected in my in my life being horrible and being sent off to wars that are unjust in the service of corporations. And you know, you, you get a situation like that, and then that's the right, then that's fine. I mean, I always told people when they said, you know, well, you know, well. Does representative democracy work? And I said, well, the reason I don't think it works is because if it did, then when we were voting for president, we would have been choosing between Ron Paul and Congressman Dennis Kucinich, not ah, yeah, or but, but Neil and, and Neil and me, we don't have a representative democracy. That's part of the right. problem. Right. Right. The U.S. Senate has a hundred members. The senator from Rhode Island represents four hundred thousand people. The senator from California represents four. 40, I'm sorry, 40 million. That's not democracy. 
No, no, I know. I'm just saying that even even in its face, though, it, it just amounts to the fact that our our politicians are picked and chosen by the one percent. You know, and and that that and happens to people from the right and the left. Freedom loving politicians don't make it to the to the end zone. You know, they, in fact, they try to get rid of them as fast as possible. Like you know, like you said, Gravel. You know, um, has pointed that out as well. You know, because I was friends with him, worked with his campaign, and. You know, they tried to get rid of him as fast as they could because he was making the people that they were trying to spoon feed us look really bad. Um, and you know, but nowadays, if, but if we if we want to talk about practical things that we could do to have a more democratic society, which I believe would lead to a more fair, just, and equitable society, one thing for people to think about is let's abolish the United States Senate. It's an anti-democratic body existing in the United States government. Boy, I gotta tell you. That's a, that's a very compelling argument. To, uh, i got to say this first. Uh, it is only coincidental that I support Ron Paul for pragmatic reasons. I'm a deep anarchist, has, have been for better than 10 years. Don't believe in property. Don't believe in money. Don't believe in any of that stuff. I just believe in people getting along. But uh, you, you really raise a very interesting point about how every, everyone loves talking about the Constitution. You're talking about the banks. You're talking about uh, how regulation will solve things. No one ever talks about why we have a Senate in the first place, which is basically a, t a hat tip to the House of Lords. So you get into this exactly. really interesting middle ground where there's a lot of sides who would look at that and be like, you know, we did install an oligarchy. <laughs> wow, that's kind of funny. I'd never thought about it that way. And that's that's right. And, and if, people, if people look at the history of the United States Senate over the last, let's say, 100 or so years, uh, in 1912, senators started getting elected. Let's just take it from that. that. It was a requirement that was added to the Constitution that senators had to be popularly elected. Before that, they were appointed right, by governors in many states. But uh, if people look at the history of the U.S. Senate, they will see that every single bit of progressive legislation that came down the pike in the last hundred years was approved in the House of Representatives, and it was blocked and held up in the Senate for 20 years. The civil rights legislation that we're all familiar with that, that got passed in 63, 4, and 5 was originally proposed and passed in the House of Representatives in 1948. Right. So, now, just, so, so why are we so, uh, so it's kind of like, okay, so we're talking about Senate, we're talking about House of Representatives, what about Congress? Because Congress is kind of like the it's like the one thing that that's like the stuff before before the president, and and a lot of people will say that that was kind of an issue with the Bush era, and now I can't I can't one hundred percent say that's the kind of case with the Obama era. Oh well, is it about Congress now? What does Congress stand into this? Because that's that's kind of like the ghost right now. We've we're going to the Senate, we've gone to House of Representatives. Let's talk about Congress. Okay, right. So, well, my but, point is that Congress would be a lot more effective if it wasn't weighted down by this anti-democratic anti force called hey guys, the U.S. Senate. You can't talk yeah. over top of each other because it ruins the sound oh, quality. No, it's okay. I understand completely. But but to but to go back into what you're suggesting, what about Congress? Well, you know, one of the things that I want to add to the conversation about this when it comes back to the foundation of this and the founding fathers and, and don't get me wrong i think that the founding fathers some of them you know in particular thomas jefferson you know was was a pretty it were, had some really you know interesting ideas even marcus aurelius who was an ancient emperor you know had some really interesting ideas about freedom and you know and individuality and all that but you know the the things that they had in common was that they were all slave owners 
um, I think that it, it's important to understand, like, you know, this is actually something I credit Senator Gravel with teaching me, you know, you, you because he had studied the early origins of the Constitution because he wants to propose, you know, an addition to the Constitution of being allowed to have federal ballot initiatives. Um, you know, basically, if you, you know, if you don't like something, you get a referendum together, and if the majority, you know, feels that that's the way it should be, then that's what they do. Um, I'm not going to get into that, really, because it's not relevant to what we're talking about, other than in so much as to point out that in his studies, he found that in the original colonies, uh, they governed themselves via town hall meetings where people either achieved consensus on what they were going to do um, and, or they didn't. Uh, and if you did not like what the town hall meeting decided, you had the ability to opt out of that decision. Uh, so... And the, the problem with this was that the, the 1% of the time, and yes, make no mistake, there were 1% among the, the colonies for that reason, at least, you know, in the definition we give them. Uh, the, the rich uh, in the South in particular, the Southern economy, uh, the plantations and such, was entirely rooted in slavery. They could not have slaves as an option. They had to have them or they could not maintain their lifestyles as they had them. Um, and in some of the northern states in particular were highly, at least at the time, some of them were populated with Quakers. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Quakers, but they're basically really, yeah. really nice Christian people. <laughs> That's one way to put it. But they're just super nice, gentle people, and they really opposed slavery. So they kept trying to ratify the Constitution via the uh, town hall consensus model. And every time that you know they would put it to the north, um, the North, you know, some of the states in the North, anyway, they would say, well, I'm not going to ratify a constitution that allows slaves. Um, and then you take it to the South and they'd say, well, I'm not going to ratify a constitution that doesn't have slaves. So Madison and his buddies got together and were like, well, the people of wealth should be the ones ruling the nation. I, I wish I was making that up. That's an actual quote. No, it's true. Um, <laughs> um, and they said, well, what are we going to do? Well, I know. Let's convince these people that they should elect delegates to represent them at the Constitutional Convention, that it'll be more efficient, you know, it'll be a, an, an element of freedom if we just elect these delegates, you know, to be our representatives for us. And then um, they, you know, who do you imagine won the elections for those delegate seats? You know, especially back then, you know, um, the running for office was a serious affair because, you know, if you're a farmer, you can't just leave your farm. If you're a blacksmith, you can't just leave your smithy. You know, so the idea of traveling around to become a, you know, get elected to be a statesman for the majority of people was just never going to be practical. The only people who were really going to be able to do that would be the rare people who might, you know, gain popularity somehow um, or the rich. And so essentially the rich delegates, you know, because the note I've already said the rich delegates, because it was the rich who became those delegates. And as a result, they went to the Constitutional Convention and then we had a constitution with slavery in it. You know, so the system at its very foundation, the concept of delegates, the idea that you're going to be more free if you surrender your decision-making power to someone else um, who inevitably was selected through, you know, plutocratic, you know, plutocratic means, meaning, you know, rule by money, was a sham from the very start. And that's one of the things that people don't understand about this in particular, and they venerate the founding fathers, and I get some of that, but at the same time, you know, I remember getting in very fervent arguments. Well, what about you know, the founding fathers laid out these really important things about private property? And I said, yeah, they thought private property should include human beings. You know, Neil, Neil go, ahead, go ahead. Uh, I, 
I don't know if you remember Krinator, but he said something very salient to me. He said, don't you think that those ancient kings maybe have figured this all out by now? And it's a really good point. I think a lot of people think that the Constitution was written over a drunk weekend in Philadelphia. It's, it's not. When we talk about things like 14th Amendment, 16th Amendment, and going forward, we're talking about people who lived years of lives, you know, trying to, if, you, if you're being nice to them, trying to construct a compromise. If you're being mean to them, then trying to conspire. But they, they never just did it, you know, quick, rare Important to remember, um, Bullworth, J. Bullington Bullworth said, uh, black people got more in common with white people than they do with rich people. That really what we're talking about is some of these very old, very established structures. And I, the last quote I'm going to make is, no one, no one is more a slave than he who considers himself free. And I got it at, at some point, if you still keep us on, I want to talk about uh, my observations of the protests themselves and their media initiatives and all that fun stuff. Sure. As long as people go out there and they think protesting is going to change the bottom line of someone who's making $600 million a year in derivatives and stuff, it's, it doesn't change anything. I admit that it's a powerful tactic that has a lot of utility. But at the end of the day, a lot of the fight has been, well, we don't like Ron Paul or we don't like Michael Moore or we don't like uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I don't know who is, who is the divisive issue. But at the end of the day, who do you have more in common with? What are you willing to put aside for a moment so you can focus on the problems that do matter? <clears throat> and please recall that these problems are thousands and thousands of years old and the organizations that exist to protect those structures are also thousands of years old. Right. Not to mention that the, the economic situation in the, uh, you know, that the circumstances called for at the time, it was thousands of years ago. You know, so inevitably, things need to advance beyond that. And as technological unemployment, plan obsolescence reaches the state that it's in, the, the ages of selling our labor to make money to trade for goods are just becoming a thing of the past. Um, right. It, because finding a job, you know, they're like, why don't you just go get a job? You know, it's like, I'd love to have a job. I'm willing to do anything. I grew up on a dairy farm shoveling cow manure. You know, there's nothing that they could ask me to do that would scare me. It doesn't mean there is a job. It doesn't mean there are any available, you know. And that's why I tell people, and I, I tell anarcho-capitalists the same thing. I say, you know, why don't you get off the grid? Why don't you produce for yourself? Why don't you... You know, become you know, it's all about personal responsibility. So, let, be as personally responsible as you can. Do you need to pay your electric bill, or do you need to produce electricity? Do you need to pay your grocery bill, or do you need to make food? You know, we've lost so much of our ability to produce for ourselves, and the one percent is already using technology to eliminate any need for us, whether it's through automation of jobs or outsourcing those jobs through advances in shipping technology to countries that where they have people that are so desperate that they can pay them with the scraps they throw off the table that inevitably we're going to need to use technology to free ourselves and, and from whatever they so, put up there. And this is so important because you, I assume they don't know. You and I have done Venus Project shows where we've talked and I've played devil's advocate to you. I mean, sure. what, what happens to FedEx when suborbital rocket shipping comes in? When you can just use, like, a railgun to launch something to China, it takes three hours to get there and... It, no human factor, no cost at all. It's all computerized. You know, 
uh, I know AG wants to ring on this too, ring in on this, but how does Occupy Wall Street, their management, their uh, management, the wrong word, their leadership, their supporters argue that people deserve jobs when they know that the entire shipping industry is going to disappear in a couple of years, when entertainment has completely evaporated? You know, when, I mean, come on, people are complaining about fast food jobs. Okay, find a real restaurant. Tell me you want to wait on tables. Go find a job that isn't McDonald's that you can do that. It's very difficult, and if you don't approach it from a structural level, how do you expect to solve it? You can't just sit there and talk about jobs. You have to talk about the structure of job creation, which, Tea Party aside, is, is uh, at least, at least OWS is having the effect of causing people to talk more seriously about job creation and where it comes from. Well, to be fair, there are a lot of people within the Occupy movement that are still involved in the labor movement, and I totally understand that. And there was a time when that was a viable point. But at this point, and I've said that myself, and I still, you know, support the rights of workers and workers being treated well. And I'm not, and I'm not anti-union, but the, we're kind of getting to a point where I would suggest to the union, if you're a big group of people who, you know, have technical skills and you're builders, then build something, you know, for your community. Get together and, and make a sustainable living for yourself because we, we can't, you know, any politician that tells you he can create jobs in this situation – Unless he's willing to do things that would never happen, like, you know, uh, have tariffs. You know, the original constitutional model for our, for our economy included tariffs on imported goods because the founding fathers understood that, you know, imported goods, if they ever, you know, overwhelmed the local, you know, market could destroy the economy. You know, so – but that's a regulation, and people don't want regulations. But it's the only realistic way to, to protect a local economy. Go ahead, Todd. Now, I think there's, I mean, it's commendable uh, when people get together in uh, localized groups and communities and they say, well, here's a problem and we're, and we're going to fix it. And people donate their time and materials and they build houses for the homeless and they feed people who are hungry and they shoe people without shoes. But the problem is that all of that activity takes place in the context of a much larger system. It's like... You can't form a commune, right, that has any long-term sustainability or significance when the whole rest of society operates according to these these structures and these other precepts. It's been tried. Uh, You can create these little these little nodes, these uh, these oases, if you will, where people are living according to a society that is just, fair, and equitable. But it's a drop in the bucket. There's misery going on all over the world and 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 every, and every state and city and you can't address that with things like philanthropy in any like significant way in terms of numbers and resources. Not in any kind of um permanent way, no. I mean it's right. Go go ahead, Meme. So one of the most important thing there is is at a very local level where shipping and distribution costs are at a a t- trend towards the minimum. Philanthropy does really well. Altruism does really well. It's much harder to ship it across borders and oceans and stuff like that. And that's not a criticism of it. It's just to say it gets harder as the costs go up. Right. And it's not to say that we should just stop doing that, but it would be more charitable in the long run to try to discover permanent solutions to these problems. Right. We have to create a system in which philanthropy is totally unnecessary. Right. That's that's an excellent point. Uh, Very difficult to – or – 
seems it, it seems very cerebral, you know, ivory tower. You could debate about it for a long time, but you're right. That's the crux of the problem, isn't it? Right. Uh, I think so. I wanted to throw an intellectual bomb out. Go ahead. <laughs> well, we were talking earlier about the Constitution, and I've had a lot of discussions with people over the last three or four years about uh, a lot of different issues, and ultimately what happens is people start talking about, well, the, what the Constitution provides and what it guarantees. And, you know, I had I had written a response to Jack Lessonberry in Metro Times, uh, which they posted on their blog, and then somebody responded to that response saying, well, it sounds like you occupiers want a bunch of free stuff. And then they went into a little diatribe where they said, well, the Constitution doesn't guarantee a right to a job, doesn't guarantee any of these things. And so my response to this is, uh, well, maybe important, I think, because people have got to get away from the notion that the Constitution is the be-all and end-all of human activity and that everything that we should do should be organized around the ideas in the Constitution and uh, supporting the Constitution. And here's my bomb. I think the Occupy movement is a symbolic of a movement among the people of the United States. The people of the United States are liberating themselves from the backward notion that because the Constitution does not guarantee a right, whether the right to a job, to health care, to education, to housing, to food, that these rights don't or can't exist. In what section of the Constitution uh, does it prevent the people from enacting such rights? Have you seen the Ninth Amendment, for example? If a people united demand fairness, justice, equality, and give definition to these demands in guarantees of concrete social rights, history has shown us no document that has ever stopped them. And if a document like the Constitution is going to be used as the galley slave of plutocrats in order to deny the just claims of the people to share in the prosperity created by the great majority, then the people would do well to burn the document. <laughs> well, you know, and on top of that, though, I mean, on the other side of it, you know, the Constitution never declared corporate personhood either. Um, exactly. And 1871. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it never it never uh, suggested a lot of other things that corporations take advantage of you know advantage of right now you know and that that's one of the reasons why some of these people it, it's funny to me that you know they, they they will say that when it's to their benefit but in many cases these people never read the thing um, that's and, right. or they or they omit the parts that that don't apply to what it is that they're doing that's why. It's amazing to me that de debates in of themselves are so screwed up that I'm making a documentary about debates, and more specifically on the Internet. Um, many of you guys who are interested in uh, you know, monitoring what I'm doing with that project, you can go to my website, v-radio.org. I set up a Facebook page for the documentary. It's called Troll. Um, and there I usually post stuff about uh, you know just different links that I'll be using and information and such. So... Um, unfortunately, I'm getting some updates now. Uh, the Occupy Detroit live stream is having a lot of trouble, um, and I guess they're 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 talking. Um, we'll see what's going on with that. Um, go ahead, team. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, we can talk politics and theory all night long. Actually, I got a couple things I definitely want to say to OWS directly. Uh, one of one of them is so important. Uh, 
he may not admit it, but Neil uh, should admit that it's really easy to broadcast live. There's a lot of solutions, and all you really need is a microphone and a reasonably competent computer, laptop, phone. I can tell you how to do it on a phone. What happened uh, during uh, – it was New York, and it was one of the first big pushes where they're going to try and clear it for the night. There were no cameras. There were no cameras, and there were no live feeds. I've been uh, in the Occupy Wall Street chat room on Freenode for almost three months. I've been there for ages now, it feels like. Uh, no cameras. What, what's wrong with this picture? We live in a world where anyone with a smartphone can stream automatically for free in any number of places, and no one's doing it. That's crazy. It's they are absolutely insane. They actually are working on that now. They, uh, they, for example, have like just big boxes of cell phone batteries because a lot of people have little cell phones that have cameras in them, and you know they want to keep them, you know, up and running at all times just in case the police do anything. So yeah, there have been advances in that direction. And the problem with live streaming is just that as we're running out in Occupy Detroit, you know, it's uh, it, we're trying to use you know live stream and you know keep it in a way that people can easily engage with it as it's going. And, you know, there's a lot of technological issues that we can talk to, you know, talk about that with. And I've been trying to share some of the knowledge that I had from Ron Paul TV, you know, with the people in the Occupy movement, which is how I got involved in media in the first place. But um, so to, to further this, was there something else you needed to say before I try to add someone else to the call? Well, AG hasn't spoken once yet, so I'll give her the floor. Thanks for having us on, and uh, I'll let her take it. Sure, she... go ahead. Go ahead, AG. Hi, darling. How are you doing? Not too bad. Good. Um, I would like to give a little bit of background. Um, I am part of the Ron Paul movement. Um, I know that got me banned in a heartbeat uh, in some uh, chat rooms, should I say. <laughs> right. But um, when this whole Occupy Wall Street thing started, and I, you know, he had found the chat room, and I jumped in there, and one of the things that I'm very aware of, such as like our conversations between you and I, Neil, we don't agree on everything, but we very well uh, agree a lot on certain points, and we work together in order to you know, make changes in those areas that we completely agree on, even though that we have disagreements on other points. Um, so when this started with the Occupy Wall Street, I was very much for it. I don't go protest things myself. However, I thoroughly enjoy and love when people, you know, they recognize that they're, they're, there's something majorly wrong going here. So they start to come together and they start to work together. I mean, I was one of the people, as you well know, that was right down there and went to the Revolution March when we had it in D.C. Yep. So I do believe that, you know, people getting together and working towards a common goal, that's definitely something I want to support, so especially when we're talking about the state of America as it is right now. Excuse me for in using the, the term of the world, yes. Excuse me for using the term America. I know that, you know, is, is nationalization and all this other garbage. Um, but anyway, <laughs> as an example... <laughs> I'm um as a disclosure garbage, I'm an anarchist exactly. completely now. Um but anyway, um I I saw a group of people getting together. I saw them wanting to make a change in something that I see a problem in as well and it completely supportive of it. And I jumped into the chat room, we having discussions and one was a statement where they mistook 
you know, what I was trying to do. Another one was just flat out what I have seen and the reason I don't even go back into the chat room now. I have decided forget it. I'm, you know, I would love to offer these helping hands things that I have experienced, um, things that I know how to deal with, such as the broadcasting. And I was just so there, so ready. I'm here. Let me help you. But the division, the division has just kicked me in the tail. And I still, sorry, guys, I heard it with your phone conversation before we started talking and joined. It's because whenever any group is brought up, all I kept hearing was, my problem with X or my problem with group Y, and you go into this big explanation on what your divisions are. And that's what they did with me, and they made sure they ran me out of there, and all I wanted to do was help. I wasn't there to change minds. I wasn't there to push everything else and make you come over to my side. I wanted to help because I know we all need change. And I was ran off, and I'm still hearing this division and even during the phone call, the guy from Detroit was telling me what he found wrong with this group. And then the other guy was telling me what they had wrong with that group. I understand. I, I have not met a person on this planet that I agree with completely about every issue, My, myself included. All right? So, but the, so the point that I wanted to make, the point that, that really needs addressing is I would see that this OWS movement to occupy anything, movement, the changes that we all want to make would be such a success, would be such a huge group of people all working in the same direction, even though we might think that the, the things that need to be done later, that we, we will differ on those points. But don't you think it's time to realize that we are all moving down the same direction on this path. We all want to go this direction. Why can we not work together? Why do we have to keep pointing out that I don't agree with this or I don't agree with that and nitpicking each other like crazy instead of working together to get this done? Quit pushing people out and we can actually go somewhere. Well, it's important to understand that um, there's a few things that I learned, first of all, even just about trying to talk to Occupy myself even, is that uh, these people are very wary of anybody who shows up who has a solution that, you know, mostly because of the fact that, you, you, as you can probably imagine, A.G., you got a bunch of people here who are getting bombarded just like we used to get bombarded when we were Ron Paul people with, no, you should actually be this, you should actually be that, you know, I've got the solution, you should listen to me. And as a result, some of these people, that I, I'd almost say that, you know, they, they do get a little apprehensive. And, and just you know, real quick. We're so sympathetic to that. You have listeners out there, you have no idea what it's like to be in a, the operator of a Ron Paul chat room with 1,500 people in it. You have no idea <laughs> how much crap 1,500 mm -hmm. people can drop in your lap. What they did, and we tried to take it in stride and be good people, you know. But, right. you know, you keep it in mind when you look at leadership, if such a thing exists, when you look at yourself. Could you handle it? You know, are you? Can you take it on the chin and be a good person despite pressures and odds and, you know, uh, even personal biases? Well, you know, I think you guys would actually would probably also enjoy yourself a lot more if you actually went out to an Occupy movement and and, and interacted with those people in person. Um, it's, yeah. it's a very very good place to be. Hey. Um, okay. oh, this is Todd. I can I? Oh yeah. Hold on a second. Uh, well, once yeah, go ahead, Todd, and then I got to bring on another caller because we don't have a lot more time left tonight. So um, right. go ahead, Todd. Well, I mean, 
Yeah, I think uh, what what uh, Mean and AG are talking about is uh, is valid in the sense that there isn't a list of demands or solutions that has that has emerged yet, uh, and I think it's because we're not really fighting for specific items on a list because we're at the beginning. What is at stake now? What has it been at stake for generations? Is the right of the 99%, the great majority, to distinguish their collective interest from the greed and selfishness of the 1%. The first victory in this struggle is the right of the 99% to have an agenda. Because until now, it has been that right which has been ignored, dismissed, or attacked. And Occupy says, no longer. Right. Our movement well, stands for the proposition that the welfare and well-being of the great majority will henceforward be the central topic of all politics, policy, and law. And we will no longer allow our just claim upon prosperity and well-being to be obscured by a minority of the ultra-rich or sociopathic global corporations interested in enlarging their own power and wealth at our expense. And I could go on, but I have to go. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much, Todd, and it was great having you on tonight. I look forward to having you on future podcasts, and maybe you'll be a panelist on my, my V-Radio podcast at some point. You're smart give me, guy. Give me, yep. give me a call, brother. Thank you so much for your time. No problem. And now we have another caller coming on from the 410 area code. You are on the air in the first Occupy Detroit podcast. Hey, Neil, it's Martin. Um, I only have a couple minutes to talk to you because I'm actually getting ready to go to the park and visit. Okay. Um, I, I was talking to a friend yesterday who really doesn't know anything about politics or um, much of anything that's going on with the Occupy movement. And I was trying to explain to him how it's possible for people from so many various political standpoints to work together um, on this one common movement. And I kind of look at it as laying the groundwork because we cannot even have a legitimate political discourse of capitalism versus socialism versus uh, what have you until we demand certain basic uh, social and economic justices. So well, I look at it as things the groundwork and then we can uh then we can argue for our own individual uh you know systems. I see where you're coming from and that in order to do that though we have to do things like overthrowing the the corrupt currency system. You know, we have to do things like talking to people about, you know, how we can, you know, create solutions for ourselves in the meantime. You know, uh, and that's like, you know, like you said on Facebook earlier, you know, you agreed about let's, you know, let's get off the grid. Let's work in that direction. You know, and Occupy Flint, um, they're already uh, solar powered over at Occupy Flint. You know, I had the pleasure uh, of visiting them over the weekend, and um, I was absolutely touched and inspired by what I, by what I saw there. Um, these folks had an amazing infrastructure um, that was completely self-sufficient. I was able to come in and charge my computer and charge up my 4G hotspot and everything. Um, and um, they are just amazing as far as uh, self-sufficiency goes, as far as researching local properties that are amenable to urban farming, um, things of that nature. That's awesome. You know, at some point I'm going to have to have uh, you know people from Occupy Flint on to talk about all of that, but that's definitely the direction that I would like to see also, in an upcoming podcast for both Occupy Detroit and V Radio, I will be talking to some people from This Hood of Ours, I believe is the name of the organization, and uh, they're talking about the same thing. You know, it's, you know, let's rebuild our communities in ways that are self-sustaining, because it's clear that the system has turned its back on us, 
let's turn our back on it. You know, we don't need it anymore. You know, let, let's move past any need for it. And at that point, you know, ironically, when we stop being consumers of their goods, that's one way that we can hurt them back that doesn't involve any violence, doesn't involve any kind of war, you know, and inevitably they'll either have to come back to the bargaining table or they'll just wither and die. You know, it kind of reminds me of the – real quick – reminds me of the situation in the a bug's life, you know, when the grasshopper, one of them goes, well, there's a lot more of them than there are of us. And then the boss grasshopper hits him in the head and goes, shut up. Do you know how much trouble we would be in if they ever figured out how many more of them than there are of us? <laughs> right. Go ahead, Dean. Oh, I wanted to say uh, we're talking Occupy Detroit here, and uh, Detroit is actually probably one of the best examples in America right now. There's the, I think it's called the East Side Farmers Market. Uh, there's some really profound grassroots reclamation stuff going on in Detroit right now. Uh, and again, you know, we talk Ron Paul occasionally, but where we talk anarchism all the time and homegrown solutions. So uh, it's worth mentioning that Occupy Detroit is built on a backbone of people who are already very community-oriented, uh, alternative money, uh, trying to avoid the major corporate shipping and stuff like that. Very good stuff going on there in Detroit anyways. Awesome. Did you have anything more to add, Martin, since I know you had to go? Well, I, I think I just wanted to respond to something real quick. Um, I think that we're almost reaching a point where people, ordinary citizens, can be more productive producing their own food rather than working for the money to purchase food. Hallelujah. You know, yep. Right. But anyway, very guys, true. I have got to get to the park before 10 o'clock. Um, I may call you later. Well, actually, the show ends at 10, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And I've only got two hours per day. But um, well, either way, though, it's been an awesome podcast, so... I would love to add my affirmation to the producing your own food aspect. I, ha I for one, have gone on air trying to teach people different aspects of gardening and how easy and small area it can be done. And a lot of people might turn their nose up or think that they can't do that, but actually it's the stuff that you grow that you can then store for you other times that actually does save you money and it takes you off the consumer list, the defunding of things like Monsanto. Yeah, a, a, little, yeah. Bit of a little bit of deferred gratification goes a long way. Put in, some, put in the effort in the spring and you'll be eating for 10 years. You know, you get any idea how much labor you're actually saving, it's really profound. Uh, you're off the air, Neil. Thanks for having us on. No, we're not. I'm not off yet, but I will be. But thanks a lot. Um, but either way, um, I've actually got another caller coming in from 703. But I wanted to say, you know, to reaffirm what you were saying, AG, I, I wouldn't want to eat the corporate crap that they're making anyway if I didn't have to. You know, it's the, the stuff that Monsanto is doing to our food is just downright dangerous. Now, we got a caller from a 703 area code. You're on the air. Thanks. Uh, my name is Ron. I'm calling from Virginia. And uh, oh. I went on to the Occupy Together uh, website to look, uh, kind of look around, see what was going on there. And, you know, right now I think the, the uh, movement that you guys are a part of uh, a lot of people are paying attention, you know, across the country, and uh, it's a good opportunity to try to get people plugged in to some kind of a process that will, you know, uh, bring them along, so to speak, because a lot of the the 99% have been basically playing the role of a spectator the last 20 or 30 years. They're finally realizing that the forces are stacked up against them.
and that uh, if it takes a recession or whatever combination of uh, uh, financial debacle, recession, and and uh, uh, the fact that the uh, trade imbalance has been chipping away at our jobs, if it takes all that to get their attention, then I guess it begs the question, okay, well, how do we get them engaged and how do we get them to start thinking and, and making the connection between the people that are sitting up on the hill in Washington, D.C., uh, and uh, uh, the the peril that they're in, you know, in their day-to-day lives now. And well, I, go, oh, ahead. go ahead. Oh, I was I mean, just going to say if there was a way to report on the voting. And I know congressmen and senators hide behind these these omnibus bills where they get their they they always point to something. Well, I was for this, I wasn't for that, you know. But to get some point of view that people can hold the uh, Congress accountable and each person that uh, uh, representing their their constituents back home to get them accountable so that you, people can look and see how they voted on what issues and also to correlate where they get their campaign war chest from, who financed them, because I think ultimately we got to get rid of uh, uh, the way that the candidates are, are financed because uh, uh, as, as long as that's the way they arrive on the on the back of a, a financial uh, uh, campaign, then that's the way they're going to behave when they get here. When they get to well, work. I was going to say um, when you study the work of Edward Bernays, uh, you can check the this film out for free. It's called Psywar, P S Y W A R. The basically Edward Bernays was Sigmund Freud's nephew, and his job for the elite essentially was to develop sociology and public relations. He was the inventor of public relations, and one of the things that that the that essentially the reason I brought that up is that the elite keep us entertained with bread and circuses. To use the example of how they kept the the people placated in Rome, you know they distract us. The average person, like you said, they're just now realizing. But the average person, the reason they're just now realizing is that people with money have understood that if they can keep us distracted with, you know, a lot of the the BS that we watch, you know, like people are more interested in American Idol than they are in who their presidential candidates are, um, and they usually know a hell of a lot more about the the people in American Idol than they do about the people they're voting for. Um, you know, if they can keep people distracted, then they're not even thinking about the stuff that you're talking about, and everything that you said is very valid, I might add. Um, I generally kind of say that any time that we're going to have any mo- money added to anything tends to turn it to crap. You know, that's just my my experience with it. So, you know, um, and that includes politics, it includes music, it includes art, it includes like so many different things where, you know, if you add money to it, then it just becomes an issue where, you know, the quality of it degrades. Um, so I'm actually going to try to add somebody to the call who was on site today. And um, either way, though, we can continue talking. He doesn't pick up. But um, I also want to thank everybody who came in today. And um, I know that we lost some of our callers while we were doing this. And please understand, I really appreciated all of you calling in, um, even the one that's not picking up the phone right now. And I'll have asked him later. <laughs> but he's also the, the coordinator for the music on the ground, so he could very easily be very busy. Um, but... 
I'm going to presume that that's the case and go ahead and stop making dead. Your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice oh, message system. I know exactly system. what I'm going to do. Hans Barbe. He's not available. Here we go. We're going to record a message for him on live on the Detroit podcast. You may hang up or press 1 for more options. To leave a contact number, press 5. Hi, Hans. Hey, Hans. You were supposed to be on tonight. Uh, I imagine you're just busy, pal, but um, now uh, this voicemail is part of the first official Occupy Detroit podcast, so at least you got to be with us in spirit. <laughs> Thanks a lot, my friend. Go, Hans! <laughs> anyway, yeah, that was just a little prank. Hans is a great guy, a member of the local Zeitgeist movement, and also a great you know, uh, advocate for Occupy Detroit facilitates a lot of the meetings down there and um, also makes sure that we have like good music there pretty much all the time. One of the things about Occupy that I like is that the whole time you're there, it just feels like a party. It feels like you're you're part of a festival or something most of the time. Um, now, I think I see uh, Martin. Are you still with us? I think he's still connected, but it doesn't look like it. But anyway... Um, also, caller from Virginia. Um, you know, it was great, uh, you know, having you on tonight. Um, how did you hear about the show? Well, I'm, I'm uh, on the blog uh, talk radio, and I, I do a show also on there. And uh, I was just looking around because uh, there have been more and more shows talking about this movement, and uh, you know, the enlightenment of uh, people who were you know, not heretofore really plugged in on what's going on. In other words, as long as they weren't feeling any pain, I think people were adhering to their their political, uh, you know, comfort, whatever they felt comfortable in their political view. But now that they start to to see how it's impacting, you know, the whole country, it's... Uh, taking people to a little more uh, insight where they're, they're saying, okay, well, what's really going on here? Right. Well, hey, you know, real quickly, um, since we've only got a few minutes left, um, you know, I'm really big on cross-promotion. Uh, you know, that's how independent media works. Nice work, Neil. You know, so why don't you uh, share with us, you know, what the name of your podcast is? Well, uh, I'm uh, I'm under the finance topic and I'm a certified financial planner and I talk about uh, a lot of the, the same issues in the world of finance. So I think this is where a lot of stuff's coming into the same intersection today because you know the financial services industry has been kind of running on an eat it eat what you kill mode and of course that's what the Congress has become. You know you go out and you, you, you slay the, the dragons that you're hired to slay you end up oh, right. Well, no. Um, but what I'm asking is, what's the name of your show so that my listeners can tune into your show? Well, I don't I don't have a name for the show. It's just Ron Wright. That's, yeah, that's Ron what Wright. I need to know. How do you yeah, spell Ron it? Ron Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T. Okay. That's what I needed to know. Now, um, real quickly, uh, AG and Meme Filter, are you guys still broadcasting anywhere? Um, do you want to put it? Currently, we are not on air. However, we are in the build process, and we will be back on air with a show called Presidential Politics, spelled P-A-U-L, for the politics. Right. And, and a new website, but uh, 
call. Uh, we'll get to that later. Uh, I just I want to say uh, thanks again so much, Neil, for having us on. Uh, Occupy Wall Street. You keep your chin up and you fight the real problem. You got to remember, you can't get distracted by these side issues because that'll just sap all your energy away. They'll take all of your energy away sitting there fighting each other instead of fighting them. And uh, it is a war. You need to be smart. You need to be fast. And you need to be thoughtful of what's really going on. Thank all you. right. Excellent. And I'll probably talk to you guys a little bit off the air after we're done here. Um, I hope anyway, so. uh, thanks again, everybody, for tuning in tonight, um, whether you're a V Radio listener or a member of Occupy Detroit. Um, and uh, if you liked what you heard tonight, you know, please consider visiting the Occupy Detroit website, occupy-detroit.us. Um, if you're interested in hearing more from V Radio, we have conversations like this all the time. Um, you can consider subscribing to this by clicking follow um, on the button you have there. You have to make a free Blog Talk Radio account, but that also allows you to uh, take part in the chat room and um, and listen to more you know great uh, programming. I've got roughly 200 hours of programming that most of you guys would find interesting, including interviews with senators, congressmen, presidential candidates, um, scientists, documentary filmmakers, activists and great panel discussions of different issues that affect our world today. Thank you all for tuning in to the first official Occupy Detroit podcast.